journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Hello, 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 shalom and welcome to everybody. I hope everybody had a fantastic uh, break. I certainly did. Had a lot of vitamin C, not only in, uh, in, in the vitamin C you're supposed to take, but vitamin SEA. Um, and uh, I'm raring to go and very, very happy to be back with you today, learning Torah and picking up where we left off last, and that is the book of Genesis, chapter 35. We didn't finish the last little bit of the chapter of 35, which I'm just going to do in summation now. Um, because there is a tremendous amount of information here that seemingly when you read it does not make a lot of sense other than it just gives it chronicles the inheritance of Asaph, who Asaph was, where he came from, who did he marry, who did all his children marry, etc., etc. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it other than to say that very interestingly, we know that Torah is very, very precise. It doesn't mince its words. If there is something that doesn't need to be said, it won't be said. If something needs to be said, we will find it in the, in, in, in the most concise way possible. And here we will look now and we will see that there are many, many verses um, at the end of chapter 35. In fact, if I'm looking now... Um, inside, and if you've got a if you've got a Bible, you may look yourself to uh, chapter 35. At the end, we're looking all the way. There's close on 20, uh, over 20 psukim, 20 verses that describe Asab. The Ele told that Asab, who Edom. These are the generations. This is the inheritance. This is the chronicles of Asab, who is known as um, Edom. And it goes on to tell us that Asaph took wives from the daughters of Canaan, what their names were, what each daughter, who each daughter gave birth to, and then, you know, how he, in fact, um, takes his wives, his sons, his daughters, the members of his household, all his livestock, his animals, his possessions, and he moves away as agreed with his brother Yaakov. He goes to uh, the hill country of Seir, and that's where he settles. You remember that we said that um, Yaakov and Esav, well, rather Esav wanted that Yaakov and him live together. And Esav said, Yaakov said to Esav, we cannot live together for my stock is young. You go ahead. You go do what you have to do. We'll meet one day. One day is a metaphor for the end of times. It's actually a metaphor for the times we're living in now, where... Asav, who represents Edom, who in fact is the Christian world, who represents the United States and all other Christian worlds, will come back and dwell figuratively with, with the Jewish people in that there will be political, financial, social alliances formed for the benefit of both of them. But right now in, in, in the verses that we see, we are seeing that he took um, his daughters, his sons, all the members of his household, etc., etc., with him. And then what happens is, is that we then read about all the names of Asaph's sons, Eliphaz, who he took, the sons of Eliphaz, 
and how um, Eliphaz eventually, very interestingly, one interesting point here, uh, the one son, Eliphaz, who actually chased after uh, Yaakov to kill him, she, he, he had sons, um, Teman, Omar, Tsefoch, Gratam, and Kanaz, um, and Timna, um, who was a concubine of Eliphaz, has Amalek. So if you want to know where Amalek came from, it's an offshoot from the, the chronicles, from the generations of Asab. And then he goes through all the different chiefs, all the different um, sons, grandsons, great-grandsons, etc., etc. And then they also go and talk about uh, the, the children of Seir, the Chorit, um, his inhabitants, who inhabited over there, and all the various, various chiefs. And then, of course, it talks about all the kings who reigned in the land of Edom um, and who, who all of them were. Um, and finally, yeah, at the end, it basically just talks. It, it, it's, it's quite confusing, actually, now that I'm looking at it. I'm looking at a diagram that shows the family of Asab, of Yishmael, and of Seir. Um, because those are the names that are spoken about now. And um, they basically tell us how the, the, world, the world got populated at this point in time. One interesting thing that one should know at the, at, as well over here is that b- um, between all the various discussions, we also learn that Yitzchak dies and that Yaakov and Esau come together and they bury Yitzchak. Now, one of the interesting things, um, just from a contemporary point of view, I was actually watching a fabulous documentary called The Abraham Accords. It's a um, documentary that um, was produced by David Friedman, who was the ambassador, American ambassador to Israel. He put together a fabulous, fabulous documentary, um, which I would really, really uh, encourage everybody to go and watch because it just actually brings brings together um, history. But, you know, while I was watching it, I was thinking this is exactly what it is that we are reading in the Chumash right now, is that the 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 the, the Christians who, who are represented by Asaph and all his children and Yishmael um, being the Arab nations, this Abraham Accords actually came as a uh, prophecy that was fulfilled and a scene through what had happened to the Arab and Christian world through the, the, you know, through from the time of the Bible to today. They proliferated. They became great, um, they became great nations. And at the end of the day, Abraham Accords was a very, very important and significant accord because it fulfilled what was to happen as we see now at the end of time where Yaakov and Asaph come back together. And in fact, Yishmael also when um, we will see that Yaakov, um, that when Yaakov buries, I think that he too lands up, his head lands up getting buried. Yishmael comes back as well. Sorry, Asaph's head gets buried. Yishmael came back and, 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 and buried with, uh, with, with, uh, with Yitzhak, with Abraham. And so the whole, the whole world, the whole world comes back together and joins together in the service of Hashem. And so 
we are told that these 20 verses describing who had who and who became a prince on who and who, how, you know, how everybody came around. And there are many, many secrets to it. In fact, we're told in the Midrash that there are more than 300, um, Kabbalistic secrets. And anybody who, who, who would be able to understand it and understand Gematria and understand hinting and understand a lot would actually understand the entire history of this world. Unfortunately, um, I don't have that capacity or that ability. And so um, we're going to leave it at that, that the last 20 verses of the, the, the Parsha of Vayishlach um, are prophetic and describe the proliferation and um, continuum of the descendants of Esav and Ishmael. Um, and today we now see it. We see the children of, of Yaakov, little Israel, sitting in the center of the world, surrounded by the descendants of Esav and Ishmael. And uh, ultimately, we all need to come back together. This is 101.9 High FM. High FM, your station of choice since 2008. And welcome back. And we are now, once we have uh, finalized and finished up the Parsha of Aishlach, we are actually going to start now the Parsha of Vayeshev. That is going to be chapter 37 of Genesis, uh, verse 1. And this is quite a dramatic, dramatic Parsha, because here we are going to see the entire story of Yosef, uh, Joseph, and his brothers unfolding, something that we all know, uh, simply because I think lots of us have watched the show, Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, even though now we are not going to watch it on Broadway, we are going to learn it inside, and we are going to see what does the Torah actually teach us about this entire story, because again, whilst this was a story of intrigue, of suspense, of it looks like of... Um, very bad sibling rivalry. At the end of the day, it is in fulfillment of, um, of what God prophesied to Abraham in the covenant between the parts when he did the Brit Bain Haptarim, which we spoke about many, many podcasts ago, um, during Abraham's life where he prophesied that we will go down to Egypt for 400 years and be enslaved. This now is the beginning. It's, it's the blossoming of this entire story. So please come along with me if you do have a, if you do have a Tanakh, if you do have a Chumash, you can open up to chapter 37. As always, I welcome comments, I welcome questions. One, um, our SMS line is 34519, or you can, um, telegram on 061 Nine. So chapter 37 opens up with seemingly an innocuous um, comment by Yeshev Yaakov Be'eretz Megure Aviv Be'eretz Canaan that Yaakov settled in the area where his father had lived in the land of Canaan. This is a year after his war with the kings. Yaakov left his home in Shechem. Remember he had this entire war with Shechem. Um, his sons had gone and destroyed the city um, of, of Shechem, and, it's, and he comes and he settles in Hebron. He apparently leaves his livestock in Shechem because that area was um, had very good pasture, but he comes and settles 
in Hebron. It's noted here that both Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov lived in Hebron. And later on, if you look in the Tanakh, King David, Melech David, also makes his capital in Hebron. And in fact, if you look at the cities of Israel, Hebron is one of the oldest, if not the oldest um, city described. Jerusalem then becomes the capital of King David um, when he moves from Hebron. So when one goes to visit Hebron, one should be cognizant of the fact that this is the place where all three of our forefathers lived. And of course, we all know that this is the place where um, Abraham bought the Marata Machpela. He bought the cave and um, all our forefathers and foremothers are buried there, save of Rachel, who we learned in the last parasha, dies on the wayside and gets buried in uh, Beit Lechem. Now, there is no mention of this, but at this point in time, we are told that when Yaakov moves and settles in Hebron, that is the year when Leah dies, and Yaakov and his sons bury her with great honor in the cave of Machpelah. Now, I just want to focus on one word, because we learn quite a lot from it, and that is why does it say, Vayeshev Yaakov be'eretz megure aviv that Yaakov settled in the land which his father lived, Be'eretz Canaan, in the land of Canaan. The verse should have just read, Vayeshev Yaakov Be'eretz Canaan, and Yaakov settled in the land of Canaan. Why do we have the two words, Megure Aviv, in the land that his father had lived? So our rabbis pick up a, a lot of um, hints from the words Megure Aviv. Megure Aviv means that Yitzchak's merit saved Yaakov and his sons from Esau. That the, he settled in the area where his father had, had lived to allude to the fact that they were being protected in the merit of Yitzchak. As, as I just mentioned earlier, Esau had left the, the area completely and only Yaakov and his sons remained in the land of Canaan. And this was them a sign that they were taking legal occupation, legal possessions of the land. But nevertheless, to teach us, Megure Aviv, that it was in the land that his father lived, to teach him that Yitzchak had extraordinary merit, and this merit overflowed and was a blessing to Yaakov as well. There's a second uh, explanation that our rabbis give about the words megure, because it says megure can come from the word gur. Gur can also mean a ger. A ger is a convert um, to Judaism. We know that when somebody goes through conversion, we call it gerut in Hebrew. And so this verse can then thus be read that Yaakov settled in the land of his father's proselytizing. What does that mean? We know that his, his grandfather, Abraham, taught people about God, taught them about proper behavior, and he proselytized them about, a, about the true faith. We saw that in Lech Lecha. And if we fast forward, and obviously Yitzhak did the same, if we fast forward now to Yaakov's life, we know that just before Yaakov comes into the land of Israel, what does he say to the people? He says, get rid 
of the foreign gods that are among you. Now, as understood, and we've discussed this also previously, but just to mention again, Jacob was not speaking to his family. Okay, what would they be doing with foreign gods? Jacob was actually speaking to the people from Shechem who wanted to come with him because they want to be gerim. They want to be converts to the, to, to the Jewish people. All right. So basically that tells us that not only Abraham did it, it was Megure Aviv. It was also the, the, the gerim that were coming from Yitzchak, because Yitzchak too convinced people to become Jewish. And now Yaakov himself um, would continue taking on that idea to go out and um, and and bring the the, the word the, the faith of the true God to the nations of the world. Now, one of the things that we need to understand and know that in Judaism, as a rule, we do not go out and proselytize. We're not out to make a whole lot of converts. To become a convert and to join the Jewish people is, in fact, a very, very difficult task um, because we believe that every single person, however and wherever and whatever circumstances they are born into, that is what God wants them to be and to live life. And, and, and we're, if, if you're born Jewish, you have certain obligations. If you're born Gentile, you have certain obligations. Um, and we're going to discuss this a little bit later in terms of the obligations of non-Jews. But for now, let's understand that the obligation of the, of the non-Jewish uh, world is that they subscribe to the seven laws of Noah, which I will get back to a little bit later. Um, if you are Jewish, then you are to keep the 613 mitzvot of the Torah, the 248 positive and um, 365 negative mitzvahs. And that's why we don't encourage people to join us because it is a very, very, um, I'm using the word difficult, but it's a, very, it's, 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 it's a world of a lot of responsibility. It's an obligation of responsibility. And there's no need to take on that responsibility if you were not born into it. Obviously, if you are born Jewish, then you need to step up to the plate and be responsible. So over here, what we can see is that Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, by them being around and, and being an example to the people around them, piqued a lot of people's interest and a lot of people decided to convert. Nevertheless, um, it is not something that we go out and do as a matter of course. In fact, we discourage people from jo uh, joining the Jewish people unless they're adamant, persistent, and they want to embrace Judaism in its entirety. Finally, one other, other commentator goes and says, Megure Aviv also comes from the word Magur, which means terror. In Yirmiyahu, he uses the word magur, and it's translated as terror or as fear. So the verse can be interpreted to be saying that Yaakov settled in the land in fear because of his father. And what is that saying to us? That all his life, Yaakov worried that he might have committed a sin by not honoring his father properly during all the years that he was with Lavan. Um, and so that is a third explanation. 
So the first explanation, um, as we went and said, is that the merits of Yitzchok um, flowed on to Yaakov. The second is that um, he continued setting an example um, in terms of showing the, the Gentile world what Judaism was about and landed up having converts to Judaism. And the third is that he lived in fear because he knew that he had missed out a tremendous opportunity of Kibbut Av. Now, there were many places in Canaan that Yaakov could have settled, but he he wanted to live in proximity to Mount Seir. Now, the Midrash goes and says that um, one can draw a parable that um, if you find uh, an experienced traveler, an experienced traveler will know how to deal, for example, with fierce dogs. Because when a dog sees a stranger coming, they begin to bark. And if the man runs away, what do we know? The dogs run after him and bite him. And it's best, really, the correct behavior is to stand still when a dog is barking. Um, and when a dog sees a man is not afraid of them, then generally they too become quiet. So says the Midrash, Yaakov was, considered, was concerned about wild dogs. And which wild dogs was he concerned about? Asav and his son Eliphaz, he didn't want to live far away from them in case they think that he considered them his enemies. So he chose a place in Canaan that was very, very close to Mount Seir. Also, remember, when did Yaakov decide to come back? And this is now the opening to our story. He decided to come back when Yosef was born. Why? Because he knew when Yosef was born, we learned this, that Yosef was Asaph's arch adversary, meaning that Yosef came into this world with tremendous spiritual power to beat or to subdue Asaph. So um, he was happy um, to live in the place where his father had lived and um, be there securely, not only because of the merit of Yitzchak, but also for the fact that he now had Yosef. Now, verse 2 of chapter 37 opens up the story of Yosef. Ele told Yaakov, these are the generations of Yaakov. Yosef ben Sheva Esra Shana Haya Roe et Echav Batson. Yosef was 17 years old. He was a shepherd for his father's, for his brother's flocks. He was a young boy. Um, he, he, he fraternized. He, he lived amongst the sons of Bila and Zilpa. Yosef brings a bad report, um, of the brothers to his father. Now, this is just one verse, and in this verse is just so much. Let's go back and dissect the verse again. Ele told Yaakov, these are the chronicles of Yaakov. Right, so firstly, why are we saying Ele told Yaakov, these are the chronicles of Yaakov? Well, we know the chronicles of Yaakov, um, and in fact, we are going to... Um, we know, we, we, we know all the sons, etc., etc. You don't have to tell us again. 
So we are told that the Torah mentions this because just before, as I said in the last 20 verses of the last chapter, it went, Ele told dot Esav, Ele told dot Seir, Ele told dot Yishmael. It was telling us all about the generations of the other uh, sons, Esav and Yishmael particularly. And so the Torah now comes full, full circle and says, well, now that I've told you all about the Gentile nations, we're going to come back to Yaakov. These are the generations of Yaakov. But it doesn't say Abraham, it doesn't say, sorry, Reuven, Shimon, Levi. It, does, it doesn't give all the names. It says, Ele told it Yaakov, Yosef. These are the generations of Yaakov, Yosef. What does it mean? This comes to tell us that, um, that, that Yosef, um, in fact, was a continuation of Yaakov. That whilst we look at the 12 sons and each and every single one of them were tzaddikim, they were, they were righteous people, which is going to be get a lot of questions as to how they behaved the way they behaved and we're going to dissect that. But Ruvain did not take over the mantle of uh, leadership of the Jewish people from Yaakov, right? Um, he was rightly, the, so to speak, the firstborn. But in truth, he wasn't because we are told that Yaakov, who did he want to marry? He wanted to marry Rachel. Who did he work for? Rachel. So Rachel's firstborn was Yosef. The Ele told of Yaakov, Yosef. These are the generations, the chronicles, the inheritance, the, the, the way leadership was passed on. Yaakov went to Yosef. And in fact, we see that coming true and that becoming a reality in that Yosef is the one that becomes the viceroy of Egypt, and he, in fact, is the one that is a king over his brothers. So in those four words, simply, Ele, Toldot, Yaakov, Yosef, these are the generations of Yaakov. Who were they? Yosef. Yosef is the one that now takes on the, 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 the mantle um, of leadership will we'll eventually take it over from Yaakov. We're going to go for a little bit of a break. When we get back, we'll continue dissecting verse 2. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. You're listening to me, Adel Kozilski, and we are tra- traversing the Bible. We're on chapter 37, verse 2. Right, so Ele told us Yaakov, Yosef. These are the generations of Yaakov, meaning Yaakov gave over to Yosef. Now we get a whole lot of information about Yosef. Yosef ben Sheva Esreshana. He was 17 years old. Why are we told that he was 17 years old? Because the rabbis come to tell us that um, until that point in time, he had been studying, studying Torah completely, that uh, correlates with the way we educate our children, that 1718 is when they complete school. The second is to tell us something much more interesting, and that is Haya Roya et Echav Batson. He left work, and he um, started tending the sheep with his brothers. And which brothers did he uh, ten sheep with it benay bila it benay zilpa l'she aviv. He looked he looked after the sheep with bila and zilpa's uh, with the, the sons of bila and zilpa. Quite strange 
<coughs> excuse me, quite strange because what we can see from here is that he was born from Rochel. Now, if there was a hierarchy, and um, one wanted to look at it this way, Rachel was the most important, as we've just learned. Then came Leah, because that was the second wife. Billa and Zilpah were concubines. They were the, 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 the slaves of Rachel and Leah. And so just in terms of looking at who was who in the, in, in the zoo, so to speak, uh, Billa and Zilpah's sons were le- uh, less um, then, 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 um, Yosef. Yosef should be hanging around with Ruvain, Shimon, Levi, all, all the sons of Leah. But in fact, he sits and he fraternizes with those, those, those brothers. And the question is going to be why. But the first thing we need to understand is two words that are stuck be- between the description of him being the shepherd of um, his brothers, okay, and who he was fraternizing, Vehu Na'ar, he was a young man. And this goes and tells us something very, very interesting about uh, Yosef, that he was a teenager, he was a young man, and um, he he did two things wrong. The first is not men- mentioned specifically. It is um, hinted in the words of the Hunar. And let's discuss that because this is something that did rile up the brothers. Hunar means that because he was a teenager um, and he was actually a very, very handsome young man, he, uh, he, 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 he paid credence to the way that he looked. And we're told that the first thing he did wrong was that he paid a lot of attention to having his hair done the right way, and he dressed properly because he wanted to accentuate his natural good looks. So he was acting like a typical teenager, and he's he's held accountable for that because he wasn't a typical teenager. He was a son of Yaakov. Yaakov was a tzaddik. He too was 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 groomed for very very um, responsible and spiritual things. And he, it was not proper for him to behave the way that he behaved. Just as a sideline, the Midrash goes and tells us a very interesting story about Shimon HaTzadik. Shimon HaTzadik lived around about the year 300 before the Common Era. Um, once he saw, um, he, Shimon HaTzadik just by the way served as the Kohen Gadol. He served as the high priest in the temple. And we are told that one time an extremely handsome young man came to him. His hair was long, but it was uncombed. And um, Shimon Atzadik turned to this young man and said, why don't you take care of your beautiful hair? At least comb your hair back so people can see your handsome face. So this young man responded to Shimon Atzadik and said, let me tell you my story. He says, I used to tend my father's sheep and I once came to a still pond to water them. And standing there, I saw the reflection, my reflection in the water. And I realized that I was, in fact, very handsome. But what happened after that was that I began to get all sorts of ideas and get swept up by my desires. And then I realized that if I follow my desires, I'll land up in a lot of trouble. So I chided myself and I said to myself, wah. You know, you're good for nothing. Why are you strutting around in a world that's not yours? 
your end will be nothing more than dust worms and maggots. And I decided the way to combat all of that was that I took upon myself the vow of a Nazarite, a Nazir. Now, what is a vow of a Nazarite? They um, don't cut their hair and they abstain from wine. Okay, um, and we know that there's also the law that once the Nazir completes the fulfillment of his vow, um, he has to come and shave himself and he has to bring a sacrifice. Now, Shimon Atzadik, I told you, was the Kayan Gadol, and he used to avoid trying to partake of such sacrifices because he, he, he generally doubted the sincerity of these, of the average Nazarite that walked around. But this, the sacrifice of this young man that he had just engaged, um, he didn't. And he ate readily and he made the, uh, he, because he could see that the guy had really taken it seriously and he had made good the vow, um, of trying to ta- ta- uh, tame his passions. So let's go back to, to Yosef. Yosef certainly wasn't an Azir. He had, uh, he, you know, he dressed himself nicely. So what was the problem here? What was the misdeed? The truth of the matter is, is that he had a good motive for being, for dressing nicely. He was a Torah scholar and as such, he, he had to dress nicely to give other people the impression or to give the, 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 the Torah was a, had a good reputation. He had to present himself nicely, and in fact, it's a mitzvah on each and every one of us to dress accordingly. What was wrong is that he paid way too much attention to the detail, um, and that was considered a um, a misdeed. So that was the first one that 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 well, the first wrong thing that he did that was considered a misdeed. He paid way too much attention to his to his looks. The second misdeed was that we are told, and that that is written in the verse, we are told, He came and he told his father a bad report. Now, who was that bad report about? Well, we can work out that if he was hanging around the brothers um, of the, the children of Zilpah and Bila, it was a report about Leosan, Reuben, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, Yisachar, and Zvulun. He saw them doing something, and he interpreted a specific way, when in fact it wasn't really another way. We'll be back. 101.9 High FM. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. We're finally going to deal with the fact of what is it that he saw with Leah's sons. So there is what we call in Hebrew machloket a a a division of um, halachic understanding between Yosef and his brothers. He went and said that he saw his brother sinning by eating flesh from a living animal. And also by flirting with local girls. Let's divide them two, uh, the two. It's not correct to say that they would have been breaking the law because we know Yaakov's sons were tzaddikim as well. They were, they were holy people. So what was the, the, the machloket? What was the dispute? Well, we know that, um, 
the halakha is different between a Jew and a non-Jew regarding the eating of the flesh of an animal. And this touches on the seven laws of Noah, as I mentioned earlier. One of the laws that a Gentile has to keep is that he is not allowed to eat um, meat or flesh of an animal if the animal is alive. A Jew, however, if they shech the animal correctly, may then partake of the flesh of the animal, even if it looks that the animal is having involuntary uh, shaking. And this was the dispute. The brothers were behaving like Jews. They had um, slaughtered an animal. The animal was considered halachically dead due to the shechita, um, and they were taking the flesh of the animal. Yosef sees that. He sees the animal's involuntary uh, movements and he gets upset because he believes that they are breaking the law. He considered that they were fall into the category of being Gentile insofar as that the Torah was not given and therefore we were not legally Jews. And the other opinion was that even though they weren't legally Jews, they behave like Jews. And hence he went and told his um, father that he'd seen them breaking the law. The other was that they had a lot of interaction with women um, because the brothers were merchants. Um, the father was unbelievably wealthy and he, you know, um, allowed them to, to, to run business. Again, this was a misjudgment on the side of Yosef and in fact got him into trouble. Finally, just before we wrap up, um, also he felt that um, Leah's son, Shimon, uh, Reuben, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, Yisachar, and Zvulun treated the other brothers as second-class citizens, as slaves, even though um, Yaakov had not allowed them to continue the slave status of their mothers and had in fact given them freedom. So here we see bad mouthing or, or, or seeing things and a slight misinterpretation in fact allows um, for a, uh, has, has a tremendous repercussion and allows for, for, for big things um, to happen that weren't necessarily seemingly on, 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 on face value very good for Yosef because he definitely gets his brothers back up. But to understand that a little bit more, you're going to have to tune in again next week, same time as we, we journey through the Bible and we see what actually happened with Yosef and his brothers. Till then, have a fabulous week ahead. I'm sure most of you are back at work or going back to work. Children are going back to school and we're back to our regular learning of Torah. Have a fabulous week ahead.